0: Let's just pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, our Father, my Father, Lord, we want to hear your voice this morning. Want you to come and speak to us. We don't want to hear what man thinks, what I think. We want to hear your voice. Heavenly Father, just ask that you would soften our hearts before you, open our ears. Spirit just come afresh in our lives this morning. Amen. (coughs) Today, as has already been said, is the second Sunday in Advent, and we're looking at the second verse of The carol or the poem Joy to the World. So I'm just going to occasionally nod in uh, the direction of the back. (laughs) Thank you. And maybe the next one as well. Excellent, yeah. So um, the verse says, uh, which will just come up in a minute Joy to the world, the Saviour reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods. And rocks and hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. This, this hymn, this, this poem, whichever way you want to look at it, is actually to do with the second coming of Christ. But we tend to use it at Christmas. And by inference, before you can have a second coming, you should have a first coming. Okay, So we tend to sing this about the first coming. But it's actually to do with the second coming. But creation, which is what this verse, to me, speaks about, creation, is one of those things that has inspired songwriters, poets, no end of people throughout the ages. I don't know how many of you heard of James Taylor. Anyone heard of James Taylor? One of the most underrated um, singer-songwriters of this generation, probably. Um, and he's, he's, there's a song which is um, called Montana. About his, I don't know whether it's his hometown, but it's about Montana, the state. And there's this wonderful verse in it, and it says, he says this, he writes this. Who can imagine the scale of the forces that pushed this old mountain range up in the sky? Teutonic creation, erosion, mutation, something to pleasure God's eye. And I just love that last line. Something to pleasure God's eye. In biblical speak, it's God saw it and he said, It's good. Psalm eight, verse one. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There was a man called Stuart K. Hind and he was a British Methodist missionary. And he went on a mission trip to the Ukraine in 1931. And he heard a Russian translation of a German song which was inspired by a Karl Boberg poem. And I apologise in advance if any of you are German here, because the poem is O stork gut I believe, which basically means, O oh, Great God. And Hyde began to translate the song into English And he added several verses of his own. And the third verse, he says, was inspired by the conversion of villagers in Russia who cried out to God loudly as they repented and realized God's love and his mercy. Stuart and his family, they left the Ukraine as famine and World War II began. And they settled in Somerset. And there he continued to serve as a missionary among the Polish refugees. And the fourth verse was inspired by displaced Russians who experienced great loss, but looked forward to seeing their loved ones again in heaven. The final English version was published in 1949. It quickly spread amongst Britain, Africa, India and America. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made, I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder, (coughs) thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my saviour God, to thee. How great thou art. In 2017, Joel Houston, Benjamin Hastings, Michael Faglin, wrote these words. God of creation. There at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and flashed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets formed. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made, every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. And going back to an even more ancient hymn, in the third century, there was a very prominent heresy that was going around the church at that time. And the heresy basically was this, that God created Jesus. In other words, Jesus wasn't there at the beginning. And it was quite prolific. And there was a man who's called, again, apologies for my pronunciation, Aurelius Prudentius Clements. Now, he was Spanish, and he was a lawyer and a judge, but later on in life he became a poet. And using his legal skills, he made a case for what has become the orthodox understanding of the Trinity. And he wrote in Latin, what is one of my most favorite Christmas carols. And what hurts me so much is i tried to sing it here one Christmas and was told you didn't know it. How frustrating. Of the Father's heart begotten, ere the world from chaos rose. He is Alpha, from that fountain all that is and has been flows. He is Omega, of all things, yet to come, the mystic close, evermore and evermore. By his word was all created. He commanded and was done. Earth and sky and boundless ocean, universe of three in one. All that sees the moon's soft radiance, all that breathes beneath the sun, evermore and evermore. This is he whose seers and sages sang of old with one accord, whom the voices of the prophets promised in their faithful world. Now he shines, the long-expected. Let creation praise its Lord evermore and evermore. O ye heights of heaven, adore him. Angel hosts his praises sing. All dominions bow before him. And extol our Lord and King let no tongue on earth be silent every voice in concert ring evermore and evermore paul argues in romans for those of you who, who um, studied study with romans with with we sorry i'm getting a dry throat here romans chapter one paul argues he says The Jews, they had the law, the written law, to remind them of God. What did the rest of us have? The rest of us had creation, that creation speaks, creation proves to us that there is a God, a creator. Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And there's a wonderful verse, thank you. There's a wonderful verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. And, and theologians still sort of don't quite understand what this means. But it's a great verse. It says, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And I love the, uh, which one is it? The, no, the message translation of this the created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Isn't that just brilliant? I don't think in my lifetime there's ever been more concern about the rock on which we live that we call home. You know, the latest COP26 in Glasgow was just another example, basically, of how the world is beginning to realize, unfortunately not, that we're created by a wonderful God and that we have a responsibility to our world, but basically that we cannot exist if we do not take care of the creation. In Genesis 2, verse 15, it talks about the Lord God taking man, Adam, and putting him into a garden. And he puts it there cultivate it and to keep it. And that word cultivate, it means to serve. That word keep, it means to protect, to attend to. We're to attend to the garden. We're to attend to our world. And yet there's an even more profound understanding of the link between Christmas and creation. And we're going to look at three passages together. Very easy to remember. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, and John 1, okay? Colossians 1, verses 15 to 17, says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and and invisible. Invisible, that's important. There are invisible things which we don't see, which are part of the created world, which we need to understand. Whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for our sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he's inherited a much more excellent name than they have. And then John chapter 1 and a few verses, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things come into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Going on to verse 10. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. (coughs) Verse 16. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace for the law was given through moses grace and truth were realized through jesus christ no one has seen the far no one has seen god at any time the only begotten god who is in the bosom of the father he has explained him and these three passages They speak of the cosmic significance of Jesus as the one in whom all things are created, in whom, even more profoundly, all things hold together. There is not one thing in creation that does not have a natural path to Jesus. Not one thing in creation that doesn't have a natural path to Jesus. You may not immediately see it, but it's there. Paul, when he was in Athens, and he's talking to the philosophers in Acts 17, um, and he starts to talk to them, and he, he starts by talking about creation. Acts 17, verses 24 to 28. This is Paul speaking to these philosophers. He says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all people life and breath and all things. The reason that we are here, sitting here, is because God has given us the breath to breathe. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him he is not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and exist as even some of your own poets have said we are also his children basically there is no place in which Jesus is not relevant. There's no philosophy to which Jesus is not relevant. There is no person to whom Jesus is not relevant. I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered that the Bible says some really weird things? I mean, really, really weird things, okay? And most of it's to do with creation. Uh, For example, Example, excuse me. God talks through animals. Okay, now, the thing is, I was just thinking, about. I mean, that is really quite weird. I mean, seriously? You know, you're walking home today and the cat down the road says, Oi, Fred, I mean, it, it, would it, hap- would, it just wouldn't happen. But he does in the Bible. We we know the children's story of Balaam's ass, and we sort of almost relegate it to a children's story. But it's not. I mean, think about this. This donkey (coughs) talks to Balaam. And the most amazing thing I find about the whole story is Balaam talks back to the donkey. And something else, right? Go back into Genesis, again, part of creation. There's a talking snake. Now, again, it's, it's so common to us. We don't really think about this, but OK. So did all the animals talk? I don't think they did. You know, I think the cow went moo. I think the dog went woof. And the snake says, did God say? I mean, that's weird. Some very strange things. Um, and Je- uh, Jesus, I mean, Jesus says some very strange things as well, again, when we look at creation. Uh, for one thing, okay, he talks to the wind, all right? Now, I know there is talking to the wind and there is talking to the wind, right? I mean, King Crimson, bless them, they did a whole track called I Talk to the Wind. Okay, so I've got James Taylor in, I've got King Crimson in, I just need to get focus in and I've got the whole three. Um, those of a certain age might understand that. Um, but... You know, King Crimson, they wrote this song. It says, I talk to the wind, my words are carried away. I talk to the wind, the wind doesn't hear, the wind cannot hear. But Jesus, he just doesn't talk to the wind. He tells it off. Scripture says he rebukes it. And the wind dies down. And the waves stop. This is his authority over creation. And there's an even more weird thing. I don't know if you've thought about this, but when I, I started this train of thought, and I just kept thinking more and more weird things in the Bible. And Jesus, um, yeah. the triumphant um, entry into Jerusalem, okay? So everyone there making a rather large din, singing Hosanna, and the priests, the leaders, that have been people like me, didn't like it very much, they're a bit worried. The Romans will think we're revolting. And then they might come and be nasty to us. So can you please tell them, basically, can you, till, still, can you please tell your disciples to shut up? Right? That's what they're saying to him. And what does Jesus say? He says, even if I tell them to shut up, the rocks will start to praise me. The rocks will start to praise me. I mean, how does that work? Again, you know, you're you walking through Whitney after the service and a brick in a wall starts to talk to you. I mean, and yet, even way back in, in the Old Testament, I mean, you know, God tells Moses to talk to a rock. I was just trying to think. It's interesting. God doesn't actually tell Moses what to say. And I was thinking, what would you say to a rock? I mean, okay, I'll have uh, 10,000 points of still and 30,000 points of sparkling. I mean, what, what would you say? Now, unfortunately, Moses doesn't speak to the rock, and because he doesn't speak to the rock, he doesn't enter the promised land. But there's some weird things, and it's to do with creation. All creation leads to Jesus. Jesus holds it all together. Jesus is in all creation. I'm not saying that I understand all of that. All I know is that what the word of God says. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. And in Psalm 98, verses 7 and 9, Let the seas roar and all it contains, the world and all who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the earth with righteousness and the peoples with equality. But what I want to do Really, it's just come back to Christmas. Now, I know that some of you love Christmas. You know, you're the sort of people who wouldn't take the Christmas tree down. You would just leave it up all year. You would keep the decorations hanging there all year. You just love Christmas. Christmas is just super. You love everything about Christmas. You love getting the presents. You love wrapping them up. You like writing the, the cards. You like going round and posting them through people's letterboxes. You like the turkey, you like the mince pies, you like the mulled wine, if you're over 18. And you, you just love everything about Christmas. You love it. And then there are those of you who actually can't stand Christmas. <coughs> you can't stand Christmas. I mean, there's the hype for one thing. They strictly come dancing. you hate it you 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 can't stand the commercialism of it all you can't stand the waste you can't stand the money being wasted on tap when there's people dying of malnutrition on the world you can't stand it it grates on you and i was just thinking lord what does christmas mean to me i mean I've, i've lived through quite a number of them now What does Christmas mean to me? What is Christmas all about? Um, I was just praying over this, just saying, what what do you want to say? What do you want to say to us this morning as we look forward to Christmas? And Christmas tells me, more than anything else, it tells me, God remembers. God remembers. In the Bible, in between the, the old when the Old Testament finishes, the New Testament begins. There's a gap of 400 years. 400 years when God doesn't say anything. And I started to think, what was happening to the Israelites during that period of 400 years? So here's the geeky bit, all right. The Israelites had returned from exile during the time of the Persian Empire only to be invaded and conquered by the Greeks under Alexander, and yet God says nothing. When Alexander dies, his kingdom is split between his generals, and there are two in particular that affected Israel. There's Ptolemy, who took over Egypt. There's Antiochus, who took over Syria. And I think those two really hated each other because they were always fighting each other and Israel was always in the middle. And so for years and years and years, Israel was stuck in the middle of two warring parties. There was a big fight in Gaza in 312 BC and that was between three of the generals. Ptolemy won. And he realised that the importance of Israel, because that was strategic, and he realised that on the Sabbath, and I quote, the Jews were all praying with outstretched hands in the temple until evening and wouldn't bear arms. So what would he do? He invades on a Sabbath when all the Jews are in the temple and he defeats the Jewish people. He transports 100,000 Jews to Egypt. Yet God says nothing. There's another big fight between Ptolemy and Antiochus in 212, sorry, 218 BC. And eventually in uh, 198 BC, Antiochus IV takes control of Judea after the Battle of Panyan. And he wants to try and civilize the Jews. So that included him appointing his own high priest, which the Jews quite rightly say is, you know, it's not a position that's up for sale, actually. You know? It's a divine appointment. But Greek culture was enforced upon the Jews. And yet, God says nothing. An image of the Greek god, Jupiter, is set upon the temple altar in (coughs) Jerusalem. Greek soldiers, performed lewd heathen rites in the temple courts. The Jews referred to this image as the abomination of desolation, and it's set up in their temple. Jews are forbidden to practice circumcision. They're forbidden to observe the the Sabbath or any other Levitical feast. All copies of the Hebrew scriptures were destroyed, which is why we have to have it in Greek. These rules were enforced (coughs) with utmost cruelty which included the death penalty. And yet, God says nothing. A pagan altar was erected in a city called Modin, which is to the west of Jerusalem. And the Jews were asked to come forward and sacrifice at the altar. (coughs) The village priest, Matthias, he was asked to go first, and he refused. And in fact, what he did... He gets up and he slew a Jew who was making his way to the altar. And he slew the emissary of Antiochus. And what happened then is what we call is the start of the Maccabean revolt. Matthias and his five sons, they destroy this altar and then they flee to the hills. And yet God (coughs) stays silent. God says nothing. Soon after that, Matthias dies and his third son, Judah takes over the leadership he launches a surprise night attack against the Syrian army at a town called Emmaus you may have heard of it and he wins they carry on into Jerusalem (coughs) they go to the temple they remove all the signs and symbols of paganism they take down the altar dedicated to Jerusalem and they erect a new altar to the God of Israel and God says nothing Beginning on the 25th day of the Jewish month of Kislev, which in fact is our December, November, December, they observe an eight-day feast of dedication, which becomes known as Hanukkah, the festival of lights. They celebrate the end of a three-year period during which the temple has been desecrated. And yet God says nothing. (laughs) Now, the Syrians didn't take this lying down. They tried to negotiate, they tried to bully. But in the end, the Syrians leave the scene. And in 135 (coughs) BC, the last of Matthias' sons died, and a conservative Jewish dynasty takes over, called the Hasmonean dynasty. There continues political struggle and intrigue. There's a period of open rebellion, there's civil war, and God says nothing. And eventually, a Roman general called Pompey takes an interest. And under the guise of a willingness to arbitrate between various Jewish factions, Rome gets involved on the side of a guy called Antipater. This involved, in 63 BC, a Roman army besieging Jerusalem for three months until the fortifications were breached. 12,000 Jews were slaughtered in the battle which followed. Pompey and his officers entered the Holy of Holies of the temple, but they left it untouched, and God says nothing. There were more invasions. In 40 BC, the Parthians invaded and captured Jerusalem. Then in 37 BC, Herod Antipas, who's been hiding in Rome during the time, Herod the Great, Herod, the king of the Jews, Herod, the builder, Herod, the slaughterer of baby under two years old. At the head of a Roman army, he takes back the land of Israel. And all of this, 400 years after Malachi, God sends an angel to an old priest in the temple at Jerusalem and a young virgin in a village called Nazareth God remembers there's another period of 400 years where God is silent in the Bible and it's in the beginning of Exodus Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40 talks of the Israelites being in Egypt for 430 years Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, it says this God heard their groanings and God remembered. God remembers his people. On that occasion, he sends Moses as a deliverer to free his people from slavery, to rescue them from the Egyptians, and to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. But it's not just nations that God remembers. The first time in our English Bibles where it talks about God remembering (coughs) is in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, God remembered Noah. Noah has been in the ark at this point for 40 days, and it's been non-stop rain. One of the best bits of advice I can give anyone that wants to study the Bible is, sorry John, not to learn Hebrew, Greek or Aramaic, not to get loads of commentaries or history books, not even to get a study Bible. The best thing you can do is put yourself in the story. Put yourself in the story. Put yourself here in Noah's place you're in the ark, 40 days continual rain. Now, I've been holidaying in the Lake District. I've been holidaying in the Lake District in a caravan made of tin. I've been there for three days when it's done nothing but rain, and the sound of that rain has been ping, 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 ping the the whole time you can't go out, it's too wet. That's three days. I was stir-crazy after three days, and there were only three of us. Here's Noah, 40 days, 40 days. Non-stop rain, stuck in a boat with all the creatures, and besides his family, there's also the animals. And, I mean, he must have been going crazy, really? And I can just imagine what's going through his head at this time. You know, oh, I've got to go and mess out the elephants again. You know, I only did it yesterday, and it's as bad today as it was yesterday. God, is this what you've called me to? Is this my life from now on? I know you said you wanted to destroy mankind, but what was it you said t- about me? I can't quite remember. I know there was something to do with the covenant and something to do with bringing some food, but is this my life now in this boat with the rain? Oh, and now I've gone and trodden in it. God, I just put myself in the picture. <coughs> 40 days, and it says God remembered. God remembered, and the rain stopped, and the wind blew, and the water recedes. God remembered. We read loads of times in scripture, those actual words, God remembers. Sometimes it's implied, sometimes it's there. Read of God remembering a conversation. And because of that, he saves the family from destruction in the town of Sodom. God remembered the ugly one who was in a loveless marriage, who blesses her with four sons, one of whom is Judah, who becomes of the line of David and of the line of Jesus. God remembered the barren one who would later give birth to Joseph, who would save a whole generation. God remembered the widowed foreigner who wasn't even allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. God remembered. God remembered the sex worker. God remembered the adulterer and the adulteress. God remembers. And the only thing I would say to you this Christmas is God remembers. God remembers. Those words that have been spoken to you in the past, God remembers. Those prophecies that have been prophesied over you that don't seem to have happened, God remembers. those times you've been reading his word and it just hits you because you know that's God speaking to you. God remembers The pain of your heart, the loneliness of your life, the fear you have for tomorrow, God remembers you. God heard their groaning and God remembered. And whatever God remembers, it's a prelude to God acting. Joy to the world, the saviour reigns, except it doesn't always seem to be like that. And yet that's the truth. The truth is he does reign. We sang earlier... Lord, have your way with us. Did you really mean what you sang? Because if you really meant what you sang, then this morning we need to do business with God. I'd like us all to pray. I just want you all to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And some of you may want to stand, some of you may need to kneel. Because in your mind's eyes, I just want you to think. I want to put put yourself in the story, and if nothing else, just visualize yourself even now before the throne of our Lord and Savior. God remembers. I want us to do something. We. I did it a a while ago, but I want to do it again. I want you just to put your hands out in front of you with your palms facing upwards. And I want you to visualize in your hands whatever it is now that is hindering your relationship with God. Those broken dreams, those hurts, the broken relationships with your your family, the broken relationships you have with people within the church, those unfulfilled promises. I just want you to hold them in your hands before Him, and then when I think, when you feel that you're able to. I want you to turn your hands over so your palms are facing down, and you just let go, and you place whatever that is at the feet of Jesus this morning. Well, like I say, just every eye closed. This is between you and God. It's between nobody else. Don't let your pride hold you back. Don't let your pride come between you and God. And when you've let go of whatever it is, then turn your hands back over so your palms are up. And you say, in surrender to Jesus, Lord, here I am. I've got nothing. There's nothing. just me and you. Some of us have a real tussle of letting go. I have this feeling that when we get to heaven one of the biggest things that God will have to talk to us about is our Britishness, our stiff upper lip And not wanting to get too emotional. Because some of you need to cry. All the hurt. All the the bitterness, all the anger. We need to let it go. And come to God with nothing. When I think of God, his son not sparing, send him to die. I scarce can take it in. But on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation, and lead me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God. all the loneliness God remembers and when God remembers he acts I'm just going to ask Matt to, and the team just to come back and, and just leave us in our closing song but if right now you're still you're still doing business with God don't worry about singing anything you need to just get that done with God right now it would be a tragic shame if you leave here this morning not having got things right with God.